Connect with Causeway. I'm your host, Therese Malvi, Vice President of Strategy at Causeway Solutions. We're excited to launch our new podcast to introduce you to Causeway and all the cool things we do. Our goal is to simplify the sometimes intimidating world of data and discuss how you can use it to positively impact your business goals. Causeway Solutions is a company made up of individuals who are committed to help simplify the use of data with a strong focus on acquisition analytics, or put more simply, helping you find that next new customer. But we're also opinionated, informed, and always looking at trends, consumer behavior, and the newest research. Each episode, I'll be interviewing a featured Causeway expert to get their take on the topic of the day. I will be joined by Lauren Kornick, our manager of strategic partnerships, who will bring her unique perspective as well. So let's get this thing started. A little bit about me. I have over 25 years of experience in media, from TV to direct mail, digital, data and analytics, as well as audience research. I've been at Causeway since 2020, and I love working with this fast-growing, innovative company. Lauren, tell us a little about you. I'm Lauren. I've been at Causeway for about six years now, and I've assisted pretty much every department, every position here at Causeway, political, data management, enterprise, digital targeting, pretty much everything. And I am here in the office in the secluded part of the area for the first time in a while. So this is great. I'm glad to be here. Well, thank you, Lauren. I'm glad you're here. In today's episode, we will share a little bit about our history. We're going to look at the latest trends in media, the record high ad spending that's being predicted for the midterm elections, and I will also introduce you to our CEO and founder, Bill Skelly. He's going to give you his take on the importance of Connect with Causeway and navigating the current world of data and information. Bill, take it away. Hey, Trez. Hey, Lauren. Thanks for having me today, and thanks for everyone for joining us. Uh, Let me tell you a little bit about myself and then about Causeway Solutions. So I started this journey about 20 years ago. I know that that makes me feel a lot older than, than hopefully I really am with the goal of getting out and democratizing data science. 20 years ago, I was working in politics at the Republican National Committee, and my job was kind of like office space. It was was my responsibility to not actually do the data work or do the political work. I was the guy that, that went down to the basement and grabbed the papers and physically walked them up to the political team and had to translate what was happening between the data and analytics teams and the people who were actually using our data in the field. Uh, after about 10 years in politics, I started Causeway Solutions with the hope to do that outside of the political sphere. What I realized was there's a lot of really cool things happening in the world of data and analytics, but that data isn't always presented in a way that's meaningful or actionable. And, and that's really what Causeway is all about. I, I named the company after a bridge because that's that was our role in the marketplace. And that's really what Causeway continues to do today. We're taking really large data sets and really smart predictive and prescriptive modeling and helping people make confident decisions and create actionable roadmaps that they can use to acquire new customers or to grow their company the way that they intend. The democratization of data science isn't isn't looking down on the role of data scientists or internal analytics teams for companies. We kind of see ourselves as an augmentation, right? We can come in and help people look at data, you know, sometimes through a different perspective, sometimes uh, being a fresh set of outside eyes, sometimes bringing new data to the table altogether. 
because lots of times companies get focused on their internal CRM and that really creates an environment where you're losing the ability to look beyond and find new audiences. And that's really been our specialty. I, I joke at times that we're really good at, at helping people uh, sell spinach uh, to people who want ice cream. Uh, and it's it's really about finding the right audience and understanding what's going to get them to take an action you need for them to be successful. So really excited about where we're headed, uh, excited for this podcast, Connect with Causeway, and, and can't wait to get started. Democratizing data is not really just about politics. It's about selling that spinach, essentially, like beyond politics. Yeah, exactly, Lauren. I think there's a huge role for this, and I'm, I'm super excited. Thanks, you guys. And I think um, selling ice cream would probably be the most important part of that. I always enjoy being reminded about how we got here. And I want to ask you an important piece of acquisition, which is one of the things that you talk about, is harder and harder to navigate. And that is media. So as we know, my background's in media. I actually remember when there were only a few stations and it was a lot easier then. But between targeting privacy laws and all the options exploding in terms of the ways that you can advertise and the different platforms and the different methods, how do you help clients think about this topic? So... We see our goal as helping people find audiences. And once you've identified the people that you want to talk to and the people that you want to acquire, that's when you begin to put together the media plan, right? Gone are the days where you you assemble a media plan and you just distribute your message in a, in a large scale. T today, you have to start with the people because everyone is consuming information, consuming media, you know, uh, and and quite honestly, tuning in at different times through different through different medium uh, along the way, and making things more challenging is is kind of a new expectation that the consumer has. We saw a Pew survey uh, a, a couple of months ago that showed that sixty eight percent of consumers disapprove of online targeting. They're skeptical or scared about their their own data being used against them. But at the same time, in a, in a different study that we saw from Zendesk, 76% of people expect personalized recommendations or personalized targeting. So you have this weird dynamic out there where people want to see ads and, and creative that is targeted specifically to them, but they don't want to feel like they're being targeted uh, from a one-to-one -one level. So it's it's really difficult for companies to kind of navigate that. And that's that's where Causeway comes in, helping them identify an audience, helping them create the personalized content that will get a consumer to make the, the choice we, we want them to make and then delivering it in a way that doesn't feel creepy, but, but, a, but is personalized enough so that when they're scrolling through their social media or digital feeds, they take a second and stop and look at the ad you're providing. Yeah, because gone are the days where oh, I'm watching something at 3 a.m. and I'm seeing an infomercial. Now, if I'm 3 a.m. and I'm watching Only Murders in the Building on Hulu, I want a targeted ad. I want an ad that's going to sell me the new project management app that I've been seeing dozens of at this point. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, the, a great example is is how Amazon sells you sells you content, right? You can go on and search for a slow cooker, and you didn't even know you needed a sous vide machine. But next thing you know, it shows up at your house the next day. Yeah, you, um, can, you can you know the targeting is getting super. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, the targeting is getting super sophisticated, but again, the targeting alone is not going to get the job done. Targeting can get the ad in front of the right people, but then you need to make it something that engages them, right? People are saturated with advertisements and with information. They have you know phones and computers and televisions, which are computers. It's incredible. You have to really cut through the clutter and speak to them where they are, with what they want to see in order to get them to take action. Your perspective really aligns with our most recent survey, Bill. And I think what both of you said, um, you know, is so true because we're used to targeting and we expect it at this point. So we don't like the creepy factor, but at the same time, we do like the fact that we're being served information that is important to us. Um, I want to give a little background to our listeners. We do a survey every month of 1,500 consumers, and we measure their attitudes and behaviors. In the most recent survey, we asked a lot of questions about how people use media. And to follow up on the conversation we were just having, I'd love to know what your perspective is on the results that we saw. Yeah, you know, our our like you said earlier, our results are really aligning with what we're seeing in kind of those public polls and public market research uh, white papers that are out there. You know, we have 82% of respondents that say that they're more likely to pay attention to ads if they're targeted to their interests. That's really huge. It's a huge majority of the consumer population that wants to go out and have something tailored custom to them. I mean, think about all of the information you see every time you pick up your phone or every time you turn on your TV. Something that is speaking to you is going to go much further and resonate much better in getting you to take some sort of action. But compounding it, you know, as we looked into kind of those mediums, it's not a monolithic world. As as you mentioned, Therese, way back in the day when you had three channels and they all shut off at 11 p.m. to to play the national anthem, you know, that's that's not the case anymore. Right now, we've got 87% of our consumers on some sort of streaming service. 88% have a social media account. And, you know, 60% of those people are paying attention to ads, at least equally, whether it's a social media, web browser, traditional television, they're looking for information everywhere they are. You need you need to hit them across multiple platforms with really relevant information. And, you know, to make matters worse, with all the new streaming services that are out there, I, think, I feel like I sign up for a new streaming service every other week. They all have different audiences. It's not, it's not just buy the evening news anymore and passively be able to get your information in front of people while they're cooking dinner or doing homework. You need to, you need to target one-to-one. You know, a, an Apple TV Plus audience is going to be completely different than a Paramount Plus audience. You need to be able to onboard first-party data and deliver that ad right to a specific person, not just by programming. And it's the same problem that Warner, like big studios are having at this moment. Warner Brothers Discovery, HBO Max, and Discovery Plus, two completely different audiences, age, gender, point in their lives. It's completely different. So it's not even just targeting. It's just the, just the stance of the streaming service world today. Netflix and Disney Plus are adding ad tiers right now. So now it's not only that they're trying to figure out their audience as well. But now all of the main streaming service at this point are going to have an ad tier. They're all doing ads. They all have to figure out who are they targeting to. And marketers have to figure this out as well as, as well as data analysts like us. Yeah. And what's unfortunate is by the time you figure out what's happening today, it's going to be completely different mm-hmm. tomorrow. It's going to be constantly evolving to, to stay ahead of this, this industry. 
Uh, having worked in television, I have to say that it's pretty funny that everything's going to have ads now. So I just got to I just have to throw that in for the baby boomers <laughs> on the in the audience. Speaking of ad spending and advertising in general, you know, there's a big happening coming up in November and Bloomberg is predicting that political ad spending for the midterms is set to hit a record nine billion so I'd love to get your perspective on that. I know you have a lot of experience in the political arena, Bill. Where do you think that's coming from? Yeah, I think it's coming, and it's going to be distributed across a lot of different platforms. I mean, there's going to be north of $3 billion spent specifically on digital ad uh, spend. And you know, a lot of that is also going to be on traditional television and now more and more on streaming services. So the the ad spend that you're seeing is, is all about getting a message in front of voters uh, to kind of convince them what to do in the, in the in the midterm elections and we're seeing that pick up now. One of the things that I think we need to that, that advertisers that are looking at the political midterms need to be aware of though is that just like we're saying messaging has to be targeted to sell a product, the same thing is true with political campaigns and that's why we've been able to take what we do in the political space and and adapt it so well for brand and healthcare and retail work. You know, back in 2016 we found that you know, there was this group of di- what we call disengagers on the Republican side. These were voters that came out of the primary. Maybe they supported Jeb Bush or Marco Rubio, and it took some time for them to get behind President Trump. They they didn't come all the way home, and in some cases, really until Election Day. And I think you saw a lot of that materialize when polls were a couple points uh, maybe too rosy for Democrats, but on election day, voters showed up and did what they always do uh, and voted Republican, even though maybe they were telling a pollster or telling a researcher that they weren't sure what they were going to do. What's what's interesting to me is that this year, we're starting to see that same phenomenon on the Democratic side. You still have Republican disengagers. There's there's a bit of you know people that are pro-Trump, anti-party, or, or pro-party and anti-Trump. But on the Democratic side, you have that same challenge of voters who are you know still left of center, but maybe not tremendously pleased with what uh, the president is doing in terms of you know the types of legislation he's he's backing or passing. But at the end of the day, they're not going to vote for a Republican. So what we're seeing in our internal data is a larger center, or at least what looks like a larger center or persuadable audience. In fact, overall now, disengagers make up one out of every five voters in the entire country, which is which is absolutely astonishing. So, you know, as this ad spend increases, what will be interesting to see is are people just simply fanning the same partisan rhetoric that that has been out there for the last couple of years, or is some group going to be able to find a way to cut through and actually talk to voters and capture the attention of all of these disengagers? Because voters really aren't sure. Our latest research showed that 19% of voters are still unsure who they're going to vote for in the midterms. You know, they think the economy is a major issue. Obviously, President Biden has some favorability issues he has to overcome, but Voters haven't completely made up their mind, and they're they're sitting back waiting to see what types of messages come out in the final weeks here. And and I think there's still a big opportunity. I just hope that that all that spend doesn't get wasted. Yeah, talk about wasted spending though. I I've seen, like we were mentioning before, the three billion going into digital specifically. Uh, Axios's prediction was the biggest increase going into CTV specifically. So like those streaming ads we were talking about and wasted spending. So. I'm in the deep red Louisiana. I got a political ad for midterms <laughs> promoting go vote, go vote Dem, go vote Dem this November. Even if you're in deep red, I don't care. It, it'll work. It'll be fine. So 
some of that three billion is going to real good use right now. Yeah, and and you know that's that's a great point. And when you get beyond the broadcast, you have the ability to go pick individual voters out of states that otherwise you might not have ever played in. Um, it's giving campaigns and you know committees more opportunity to go out and pick individual votes from here or there. And, and Lauren, to your to your point earlier, Nielsen just put out a survey that that streaming services has just surpassed broadcast and cable uh, for the number one viewed medium. So so you're right, everything is changing right now, and that change is is going to just simply allow for more personalization. Well, it's really interesting, and I find the disengagers really interesting. I'm sure that that's uh, not only true in politics, but in other segments as well. Uh, just people are inundated with information. Um, I'm curious, though, getting back to the study that we do, I know that we did ask some other questions that we found some alignments with in terms of political segmentation. Uh, what are the other ones that you saw or that you found is pretty interesting in terms of being targeted specifically? And can you speak to those? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that really stood out to me that I maybe wasn't expecting to see was the amount of optimism that still exists, right? You know, if we look at people who believe that business conditions or their personal conditions are going to be better a year from now than they are today, that's one out of every four respondents, right? 91% of them are concerned about inflation. So it's, it's not that they're sitting around saying, hey, everything is great today, but they're real optimistic that a year from now, things are going to be better. So I, I think companies and political campaigns need to play on that, right? The, the American dream is still very much alive. People and consumers and voters really want to believe that they have the capability to go out there and make their dreams come true, make the American dream happen. So that that really stood out to me is, you know, and you see, Lauren, you mentioned the ads that you get. I'm sure they were gloom and doom and talked about the end of the the end of the world will be here before you know it. And this is the most important election of your life. But it's really important to remember that there's still a lot of voters and consumers out there that are real optimistic that good things are happening, right? It, once we get outside the the Twitter bubble or, or or kind of the you know mainstream media you know pounding fear into you, there's really a lot of optimism, right? You know, overall, 51% of our, our voters said that they believe their household situation is going to be better next year, right? That there's just this opportunity, I think, to break through and present people with with a, a little glimmer of hope. Um, and and I think if any brand or, or candidate can break into that niche. It's it's sad that optimism is a niche these days, but if you can break into that, there's a, there's a huge opportunity to, to really get some people energized. Well, yeah, it's a niche worth exploring because you don't know why, and it's up to just more research, more surveys, more groups, more talking to them to figure out, is it partisan? Is it age? Is it down to just where you're from? Like I know, you know, there's such a thing as Southern hospitality and Northern rudeness, or maybe it's flipped. I'm not sure, but you know, it, I think it's, it's flipped. So, I'm pretty sure <laughs> <laughs> it could be a number of reasons, but like th- that optimism is there. We just got to figure out once you figure out more details about who they are, then you know what message to give to them and how to use that for your campaign for the most important election of our lifetimes until two more years when it's the next most important election of our (laughs) lifetimes. Exactly. The thing that I love about what we do is it's evolved. It's not just data anymore, right? It's, it's, it's literally sociology. Now it's understanding how people are acting and behaving and what they want to hear and what they want to see. And, you know, the research 
you know, the capabilities that our fingertips are just absolutely incredible. So there's a lot of good things that are going to happen, you know, in data and analytics and this data-driven marketing. And so I'm excited to be on the on the forefront of it. It's really interesting information. And thanks, you guys, for um, sharing that. One of the other things that I found really interesting in the data was just that optimism also translates to self-confidence, which often translates to purchasing. So you may not actually have any more money than the other person. But if you feel good about where you are and where you're going, you're more likely to make purchases. So to both of your points that you just uh, expressed, it's, you know, it really is so important to understand all the ways that we define ourselves influences that. So thanks to both of you for sharing your perspective, as well as the most recent information. I uh, think that we have quite a lot to think about. Uh, This was really fun. From my viewpoint, what we all need to remember is to not make assumptions, but instead look at the data and understand what each of the groups you care is thinking about. It is so easy to rely on the past, on our own perspectives, but you just can't afford to do that. So many times you you talk to people and they assume that whatever they think is what everybody else thinks. And that is the beautiful thing about research is to really understand how different people are and how different their attitudes are. Lauren and Bill, I would love to ask you guys to both leave our audience with what you're thinking about after this conversation. Uh, I was just thinking that digital ad spending has just grown so much with well, within my lifetime being one of the youngest people in the office, but just within the 10 years specifically, it's just growing, it's continued to grow, targeting has completely changed. Selfish plug, I wrote a blog post about ad targeting specifically of who actually watches these ads. And it's interesting to note that social media ad watchers are the biggest group. So like that's a whole other segment of audience that I don't think we've thought about as deeply before in the years before, I guess. But that's really interesting. And digital targeting is super important for all campaigns going forward. And as part of that kind of digital team at Causeway, I selfishly hope they continue to grow from that point, but also just interested to see where everyone goes from here. Yeah. From my perspective, you know, I really think that it's important for people to be prepared moving forward, right? You know, as everything changes, you know, Lauren, we were talking about, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, Disney Plus or these other streaming services changing the way that they're offering ad services or whether it's new platforms that are going to be invented, it's going to be important for companies to have a plan and, and political campaigns as well to have a plan and be able to execute nimbly that plan. There was a uh, there was a great podcast and an article that I read just the other day about some of the lessons learned from the CDC. And I've, I've you know, I've had my share of criticism for the, for the CDC, but I thought it was a really great uh, retrospective. And and they were talking about how there were a couple challenges. And the first was, you know, as, as an organization, when they were used to communicating outward, they were communicating through academic research to doctors and to, and to trade publications. And they had never really had to communicate with the general population before. And I think a lot of companies find themselves in that same position, right? You know, whether it's a, you know, an automotive company who only communicates with the population through recalls or whether it's, you know, a retail association that only has to talk when they have problems or issues with their products. A lot of companies aren't prepared to talk one-to-one with consumers and and that's changing and and people are going to have to be prepared for that. 
So I think there's a huge opportunity ahead uh, for organizations to think about how it talks one-to-one with consumers, and there's going to be more platforms for them to do so. So it'll be fun to see where this goes. They need to learn how to democratize data. I think that's exactly right, Lauren. I think everybody does. Well, thanks, you guys. This was great information. I really enjoyed talking to both of you and also talking about all this. Change is such a big factor. And um, I think research is obviously, in our minds, one of the one of the most important ways to keep track of that. So thank you also to our audience. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we want to hear from you. So is there something you wish we would ask in our monthly survey? It's a possibility to get it in. So drop us a line and let us know what you're thinking about. We hope you enjoyed our first episode of Connect with Causeway. Please subscribe to the podcast and tune in again for our next episode in November. 